Uh, my name is Chris Jenders. I am the youth pastor for the church. Uh, Bill White, our lead pastor, is on vacation in Virginia uh, with his family. So just pray for him and Vicki as they're spending time with uh, his parents. And uh, we'll be returning next Sunday uh, to teach the second part of this uh, two-week series we're doing on small groups. Um, I don't know if you guys have thought much about bridges. Most of us don't, right? I mean, it's just we, just, we drive on them, we walk across them. We don't really think much about the architectural engineering behind it. We don't think about what happens until a bridge collapses. We don't think about bridges, right? Um, several years ago, I started running, and I ran my first half marathon over in Quad Cities. And uh, within the first mile and a half, two miles, we, we ran across the Mississippi River on Interstate 74, right? It's this big steel and concrete structure. And this thing's solid, right? So we're running, and I'm going, and all of a sudden the bridge is like going up and down because of all the runners on it. And you're like running, and all of a sudden you go to put your foot down, and it's lower than you expected, or it's higher than you expected. And you're like, how can a steel and concrete structure like this move that much? But that's part of the whole engineering of bridges. Uh, one of my favorite bridges is the New River Gorge uh, Bridge in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Some people have been there. Um, coming up October 19th, I can't go. One of these years, I'm going to go. Um, this is a bridge. Uh, this is a new river. I've rafted that river. The Golly River is near that as well. It's a great two-day two, two, trip, two day trip um, if you want to ever go there. But the New River Gorge is, is just massive. 876 feet high, crosses this huge canyon that people used to have to drive hours around to cross over, to cross over this canyon. And, and once a year, and this is what I can't go to this year, I've got a meeting that day, uh, they have bridge day. And it's a day where people base jump off of it and rappel uh, off this bridge. And I don't want to do that. I'm just saying I want to watch people do that. I think it would be pretty cool to watch. Um, But I love this bridge. Um, Several years ago, I read a book about the Brooklyn Bridge. And you're like, really? You need a a better reading list, Chris. Um, You're reading a book about the Brooklyn Bridge. That's all it was. Is about the history of it, the construction of it, everything that went into it. Uh, it was written by David McCullough. It's called The Great Bridge. Fascinating book. Um, anything by David McCullough. He's a historical writer. Anything by David McCullough, I recommend. And so I came across this book, and I'm like, I like David McCullough. I'm going to trust him. And so I read his book, and it was truly fascinating, um, the history of the Brooklyn Bridge. I had no clue. Um, the, in 1860, Brooklyn was the third largest city in the world. Okay, 40% of the wage earners who lived in Brooklyn worked across the East River in New York City. Uh, there was no bridge, so five ferries ran over a 1,000 trips a day to transport all of the people from Brooklyn uh, to New York City. Construction on the bridge began in 1969. It took 600 workers over 14 years uh, to build it at a cost of $15 million. Today, that's equivalent to $320 million. Um, at that point in history, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world. And within the first four hours that it opened, a quarter of a million people walked across Brooklyn Bridge. In four hours, 250,000 people walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. It's just a, a fascinating feat uh, of engineering um, history, um, just how you can build that. And I, I truly recommend that book. I think it's a fascinating book uh, behind all the people that were involved in that process. But, it, but if you stop and think about bridges, what does a bridge do? At, at, at a very base, I'm, g- I'm going to ask, what's a bridge do? Supports, connects, what? Connects two pieces of land. Yeah, it, it crosses some sort, so says the, the builder. Thank you. Um, it, it connects two sides of something that's divided. Uh, two different sides that, that are divided by some sort of chasm. And we, and we see bridges all the time. We see literal bridges. They're over streams and rivers and lakes and train, tra- train tracks and all this stuff. But we also see figurative bridges. 
Uh, we see figurative bridges that connect people or opinions, that stand on two opposite sides of a belief. And, and the chasm between uh, those two people or those two opinions and beliefs are, are vast. It, it's a deep chasm. Uh, for example, uh, last year we offered a class here uh, called Bridges, and it was a, a class helping us understand the beliefs of Islam. And the whole point of the class was to help us build a relational bridge with those who follow Islam so we understand it and we can connect Christianity and Islam together over this relational bridge to introduce them to Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, for those of you in the business world, uh, you build bridges all the time uh, across cultural divides in this, in this global economy that we have. You're, you're talking from U.S. Western culture to, to China and Eastern culture. You've got to figure out how to bridge that gap. Parents, you build relational bridges between your kids, right? You, they go to war. Maybe this doesn't happen in your home. It goes in mine. But they go to war, and you're like almost literally holding them apart from each other. And you're like, okay, let's figure out how to cross this chasm to build this bridge to restore peace and harmony in our home. That lasts about 10 seconds. Teachers, um, you build bridges with your students. Uh, you take information that they need to know and, and, and information they need to know about how the world works and, and you introduce it to the students to make sure they understand it and how to apply and how it affects their lives. Uh, when, when we see politicians bridge that aisle between them, you know, no longer uh, two-party partisan politics, but when they begin to work together, you know, what do we do? We cheer them on because we're like, finally, thank you. You're building a bridge across this political divide. Uh, our goal at Great Oaks is to help you build bridges. Uh, we want to help you build a bridge, uh, first of all, with God. We believe that a relationship with God is the most important relationship that you can have uh, in this lifetime. And, and thank goodness, the good news is, God, through Jesus, already built a bridge for us. All we have to do is voluntarily walk across that bridge. Uh, we want to help you build bridges with people who don't know Jesus. Scripture tells us that our responsibility is to take the good news of Jesus Christ and to introduce it to a lost and dying world. And that means building bridges relationally and, and helping people cross that spiritual bridge. Uh, we want to help you build bridges with people in the church uh, to help you grow in your faith. And this is what we're talking about this week with small groups. See, our goal is not to have you sit in rows on Sunday morning. Our goal is to have you sit in circles throughout the week. We don't want you to, to sit here and, and look at one person speak. You get my opinion. Very, very rarely do we, do we get dialogue back and forth on Sunday morning, right? But in our small groups throughout the week, whether they meet in homes or here in the church as a class structure or in, in uh, Panera or another coffee shop, you sit with a group of people and you begin to, to study this book and you begin to dialogue about it. You begin to explore what you believe and why you believe and, 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 and you grow through that process. I, I've been in groups pretty much my entire Christian life. I became a Christian when I was in college. When I was 19, um, the campus pastor said, hey, you're, good Christians should be in small groups. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll be in a small group. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to be in a small group. So I, was, I joined a small group. After my first semester of small group, I was leading a small group. That was, I don't know what I was doing. Like, really? I'm only been a Christian six months. You put me in charge of a small group? And we're dealing with stuff as, as college students, and I'm like learning like crazy as we go. Um, Karen and I have been in a couple small groups uh, throughout our marriage. I've been in men's small groups um, for really 15 years. I've been in a Wednesday morning men's small group. I've, I've been in one-on-one -on -one mentoring relationships with uh, my mentor, Lauren, um, who, by the way, is going to back to Vegas soon after his surgery in New York City. So I know some of you have been praying for him, so thank you for that. Um, I've been in accountability relationships with friends that, that you know, really have permission to ask me the tough questions. And these circles have done so much more for me than just sitting in rows. Now, I don't want to say this isn't important, because this is. We get a lot from this. But to go to the next level, you got to take your rows and put them in circles 
And you've got to begin to, to uh, converse with the people around you. You see, we need to be students of this book. We're, we're here because of the God that this book tells us about. And when we, when we commit to being a Christian, we commit to studying this book. And we can take a lifetime and, and barely even scratch the surface of understanding God's love and grace for us as he demonstrated through Jesus. We can, we can take a lifetime and, and, and try to understand all the stuff that's in this book. And it, it is overwhelming. I know that. I get that. I, I've been there. Uh, when, when I first introduced this book, I had no clue what was going on. Uh, the Sunday school teacher, you know, I went to the church every now and again in high school. They're like, hey, see who can read the most chapters. I'm like, okay, I read like 72 chapters. What did I read? I have no idea, but I like to read. And so I read it. I had all these questions. I didn't know what I was doing. And, and this, this book can be overwhelming. I know that. It, it's written by 40 different authors in three different languages over the course of 1,500 years. It talks about uh, history, and it's got poetic writing in there. It's got prophecy, and it's got um, theological dissertations. It's got personal letters to churches that are in trouble and, and personal letters to friends of, of people in the Bible. And, and you read this, and you got to, okay, how do I understand, and how do I apply? And really, how do I apply a book that was written 2,000-plus years ago in the 21st century, in the day of Twitter and Facebook and global economy and all the, the cultural stuff that we face? What do we do with what we find in this book? And this is where our circles begin to help you figure that out. Where you begin to sharpen each other and explore what the Bible says. And what does that mean for us today? And uh, there's people in here that, that are small group leaders who would love to have you in their home. You see, it's not just enough to get information about this book. It's not enough to, to just know facts about the Bible. All that stuff that I just said. That's great if you know that. If you know who the authors are, you know where to find books. If, if you know the cultural context of Scripture, some of you are like, what does cultural context of Scripture mean exactly? Uh, if, if you want to study original languages, if you want to discover the, the life and the teachings of Jesus, if you want, want to understand theology of God, you want to know church history and the spread of Christianity throughout the world, you can find all of that in here. And it's not a Jeff just to know that information. See, in here you can also find information on, on how to uh, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You can discover that you're supposed to put Him first in your life. You'll discover in this book that, that you're supposed to treat other people the way that you want to be treated. You'll discover in here that you're supposed to, to pray for your enemies, that you're supposed to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger. You'll discover in here that you're not supposed to get drunk on alcohol or allow drugs or anything else to control your body. You're discovering here that you're supposed to help the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the single mom. You're not supposed to go through this life alone. You're discovering here how to handle your finances, how to be a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, how to, how to, how to be an employer and an employee. You'll discover in here that you can put your hope in Jesus and you have a promise of eternal life. And that you're supposed to go into all the world and tell everybody what Jesus has done in your life. You can discover all that in here. But it's not enough to just read this information, to learn this information. Uh, my in-laws live in a home uh, up in Geneva, Illinois, and uh, I love going there. Um, one of the things I don't like, though, it's an older home, uh, was possibly going to be a historical site in Geneva, and when the historical society approached them and said, hey, we want to make your house a historic site, they said, well, what does that mean for us? Is that like no taxes and whatever? And they're like, no, you get a plaque on your wall. And they're like, but you can't do any changes to your house. You can't make any renovations to it for the whole time you live here. And they're like, well, we got two small kids. We need a second story. So keep your plaque. They cut the roof off, put a second story on it. But what they didn't do was put in central air conditioning. And I'm like, really? 
And so we go up and visit, and like, there's no air conditioning in the house. Um, there's a couple window units uh, in certain parts of the house. And uh, one of those uh, parts of the house is my mother-in-law's bedroom upstairs. And, uh, you know, this last, we were up there, was it just last weekend? And um, Karen, Morgan, and I all slept in that room because they had air conditioning, right? And I love window, window air conditioners. If you don't have central air, window air conditioners are great. You plop them in, you know, and all that stuff. But it's, here, here's the thing about air conditioners. I, I, can, I can look at a windowless or at a window air conditioner. I, I can take the schematics and understand how it works. I can discover the manufacturer of the air conditioner. I, I, I can read the instruction manual and know what every little button and every little light does on that air conditioner. I can know all the information about the air conditioner. But until I actually put it into practice, until I press that on button, the air in the room doesn't get transformed. doesn't get changed. It doesn't matter how much information I have. Once I put that information into practice is when the air in the room gets transformed. And so you see, our goal is not simply that you know information about this book, about what it means to be a Christian. Our goal is that you take this information and you allow it to transform your life. They begin to ask yourself some serious questions. Uh, Josh Frederick, who, who taught last week, our Metamoro Youth for Christ director, he used this phrase a couple weeks ago at Campus Life. He said, it's time to, dump, to jump into the deep end of the pool, guys. It's time to ask some serious questions and explore this faith that we keep talking about. And so you've got to ask yourselves, what do these verses mean in my life today? Are there any attitudes, actions, or behaviors that I need to change as a result of what I've just learned? How should my life be changed because of what I read in that book? Do I need to, to change how I handle my relationships, my, my possessions, my time, uh, everything as a result of what I've learned? And we can stop there. And we can ask ourselves those questions. And we can discover the answers. And maybe the answers aren't always going to be good answers. We're not always going to be comfortable answers. But we can stop there and still not experience transformation. Because again, we just have information now about ourselves. We actually have to put it into practice. James says it like this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You see, there's a simple mathematical equation. Hearing plus doing equals transformation. It's not enough to just know the information. It's not enough to just ask yourself tough questions, honest self-evaluation questions. But you actually have to take the answers and what you discover and put it into practice. And when you begin to do that, you'll discover that your life will begin to be transformed. I've gone through this in all my 19 years of being a Christian. Uh, when I was in college and, and started into the party scene and, and, and became a Christian and still was involved in the party scene, and I remember um, my roommate, uh, the girl I dated before Karen, uh, my roommate got to know her and her roommates. And um, one weekend, I, I had thrown a party in our apartment. And my roommate was a really strong Christian, didn't want to be a part of it, so he just left. He went and hung out with, with Kelly and these girls, right? And so the next day, he comes and he's like, hey, how was your party? I'm like, oh, it was good, you know? And, and he's like, these girls were awesome. Like, we should go over there sometime. 
And so we go over there, and, and, and he was int- trying to introduce me to Cheryl, uh, but Cheryl wanted nothing to do with me. Um, I don't know what it was. Uh, but Kelly did. Kelly was kind of interested in me. And so Kelly and I are sitting there playing cards, right? And uh, she, she's talking to me as we're playing cards, and she's like, so I hear, uh, I hear one of your, you know, there was a party in your apartment last night. And I'm, I'm sitting here the whole time talking to her about, you know, Christianity. I'm this great, awesome Christian, you know, growing in my faith and, and all this stuff. And she's like, so I hear there was a party. I'm like, oh, yeah, there was a party last night. And she's like, you know, well, how, you know, who else lives with you and Dan? And I go, nobody. It's just me and Dan. And she looks at me. She's like, so you're the one that threw the kegger last night? And in that moment, I realized that's not what a Christian does. And I discovered later that Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine. And I'm like, okay, I've got a decision now. I've got information. What am I going to do with this information? And I transformed my life because of that. I, early in our marriage, discovered the, the dark side of the Internet and late-night cable television. I was confronted with that reality and uh, confronted with Matthew 5.28. It says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with him in his heart, with her in his heart. And I had to come clean to my wife. In marriage, you know, uh, it took about 10 years of marriage to really start to figure out what marriage was supposed to be like. And, and I was confronted with Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And when I took that and I started processing, like, what did Christ do for the church? He sacrificed everything for his bride. And I began to have to wrestle with and transform my marriage. In my parenting, uh, what does it mean to be, to be a parent? Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Notice that it doesn't say uh, mothers, because like fathers, we're just, let's just be honest, we're the best at exasperating our children, right? Um, it's just, Karen has to keep reminding me of this verse every now and again. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Finances. Possession, money. I came from a very poor family. My family went bankrupt when I was 13. I was on the free lunch program at school. I, I, I had Goodwill clothes before Goodwill was cool. And money's always been big for me. I, I changed majors in college to be a business major because I was going to make money. I was going to make a lot of money. Somehow I became a pastor. Um, I'm not sure how that happened. But along the way, I realized that money really isn't all it's cracked up to be. Matthew 16, 26 says, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Worry. Oh, I was a huge worrier. In college, I, I, I drove myself uh, to an ulcer worrying. I lost 35 pounds in a matter of weeks um, over this worry and the stress that I would bring in my life because uh, I just didn't know how to handle change. And I remember discovering Matthew six twenty five through 34, and I'll only read verse 34. It says, Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And honestly, almost overnight, I read those verses and I went, God's got it. I'm going to trust him. And these verses meant so much to me uh, that I actually had them read in our wedding. You know, you think about 1 Corinthians 13, love, all this stuff. I'm like, no, no, no. I want birds and air and sparrows and lilies and worry. Like, that's our wedding verse, right? Sometimes you can take it a little too far. Um, I, I learned this lesson of worry almost too well. Uh, when Karen was pregnant with Ethan, uh, we discovered that she had a tumor in her side. And, uh, of course, that's shocking, you know, when you hear that. And they can't do anything because the baby's in the womb. They, they can't do any procedures. They can't really tell you whether it's cancerous or benign or anything like this. 
And I, I've just, I've learned not to worry, right? So we get out of the appointment, and they're like, you know, well, we're going to have to wait till the baby's born in about six weeks, and then we'll figure out where there's cancerous. And I go, okay, no big deal. And Karen's like, what? I'm like, why worry about it? The Bible says don't worry about it. So, you know, tomorrow, I don't know, we got six weeks. Like, don't stress about it. Not good thing to say to your wife who's pregnant with a possibly cancerous tumor in her side. And she's like, sometimes I need a two-by-four. Um, she's like, like grab me by the face. She's like, Chris, you need to show me you're worried. I'm like, but I'm not. The Bible says don't worry. She's like, I need you to worry a little bit. She's like, you not worrying says I don't care. And I'm like, but, but I do care. I love you deeply. Then worry. And I went, okay, I'm worried. Wink. It ended up being benign. So I was right. She was wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to move on. We're getting in trouble. Is there a small group on marital conflict um, available? Matthew 7, 24. Jesus says it this way. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fail because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, hearing plus doing, if you hear the words but you don't do, if you don't allow transformation, does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Uh, Kyle Eaton, uh, one of my go-to leaders for Breakaway, our middle school ministry, was teaching on this verse the other night. And, and Kyle, I'm, I'm, I'm going to brag on you for a second because Kyle like, has this creative mind and everything's like tangible and, and you've got to get your hands on it and stuff. And his lessons are just so fascinating. And there was one where he did with the mud and like sin. He had a white t-shirt and he put his hands in this mud and like wiped it all over his shirt. And middle schoolers were like freaked out. Like, is the shirt going to come clean? You know, all this stuff. Well, he's teaching on this verse the other night and, and he, he, he has these kids uh, come up front and three of them there and they're building with Legos, right? And he just says, build a house, build a tower, build it as, as tall as you can. And so they start building, and all of a sudden he goes out from behind this area and like grabs this big industrial fan, plugs it in, and he's like, you know, all over their Legos, and Legos are flying everywhere. And then he goes in to teach this verse. And I loved it, because that's life. We, we try to build this, this house called our lives. And we know storms are going to come. We know the winds are going to blow, the rains are going to come down. And yet we still build our house on sand instead of the rock of Jesus Christ. See, this is what hearing plus doing equals transformation will result in. A rock, the house that's built on the rock, it'll stand the test of, of time and of life. You see, in, in my family, I'm the weird one um, I, because I have a great marriage, a stable income, uh, uh, love spending time with my kids. I've got a job that I've been at for a long time. And, 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 but in my family, that's weird, right? And, and Karen and I have talked about this a lot, and we're like, man, what in the world? But I, I look back, and I could have easily been like a lot of people in my family, a lot of people in the world. And the one thing that made the difference was Jesus Christ. And Jesus has made the difference in my, how I am Karen's husband, how I'm Ethan and Morgan's father, how I handle my finances, how I handle my, my time, how I look at other people, 
how I respond to things in this world, Jesus has made all the difference because I've allowed him to transform my life by studying this book and changing my life to match this book. You see, a lot of times we read stuff in here and we don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's challenging. It, it, it forces us to change. It goes against culture. And we're, we're afraid of that. And so we begin to just kind of morph a little bit what the Bible says to make it a little more palatable, a little more comfortable. And folks, this, this book, this book is divisive. This book is confrontational. This book slaps the world in its face. And we're called to be followers of the God of this book and to live by what we read in this book. Am I perfect? By no means. Ask Karen and the kids. Am I growing? Every day. Because I've allowed myself, I've centered myself around this book. I've taken what it says, and I've begun to, to ask some tough questions, and I've begun to change who I am and the way that I look at the world because of what I read in this book. So where do we go with this? First of all, we need a bridge we need a bridge between information and transformation. There's times where, where information and transformation can seem like such a huge chasm is between those two. We can discover something about God and about Scripture, and, and then to actually see that transform our lives, we just, oh, how is that going to happen? I have no clue. I, I've got blind spots in my life. I've got things that I don't know about myself that, that I need other people to speak into my life. And so, not only do we need a bridge, but we need circles instead of just rows. I, I need to sit across from people who have permission to, to ask me the tough questions. To say, hey, how does this verse apply in your, in your marriage and parenting? How, how does this, this scripture apply to your finances, to the way you treat your employees, to how, how you handle you know, everything? People that have permission to ask me that tough question. You see, a lot of times, the people we hang out with affect our beliefs, our values, our opinions. We talk about this in student ministry all the time, healthy friendships. But the people you hang out with Monday through Saturday can easily override everything you learn on Sunday morning. But when you get into a group, when you get into a circle, and it meets on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday, whatever, all of a sudden you've got a second day in the week where you're being confronted with the truth of Scripture and with the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we do better with Rose. And groups, for Great Oaks, groups are that bridge. Groups are the bridge between information and transformation. And whether it's a a, a traditional home-based small group, whether it's a a men's group or a women's group, whether it's a a prayer group that that meets in the... uh, We've got a a prayer group that meets now in the building and they pray for our students and our teachers, our schools. Whether it's a a group that meets in a coffee shop and and just explores Scripture together. Whether it's a, a mentoring group with somebody older and wiser than you or an accountability group with two or three people of the same gender who who have permission to ask you the tough questions. We need to be in circles. We need to be in groups. Because groups will change us into who God wants us to be. So who are you doing life with? Who have you invited into your life to ask tough questions? Who's welcome to challenge your thoughts, your beliefs, your actions? Who sits across from you in a circle and helps you understand and apply this book? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, 
go to greatoakcc.org.